White and Confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans. As many people in our region can attest to, access to the internet has always been an issue here and has been more of an issue since the beginning of the pandemic. In December, we received news that more than 43,000 households and businesses in rural Southwest Virginia will get direct fiber broadband access through $111 million in state broadband grants. The counties that are being served by this broadband expansion contain only about 4% of Virginia's population, but are among the poorest in the state and have some of the lowest rates of broadband availability. On today's show, I chat with three guests about the expansion of broadband into our area. One who doesn't currently have access to internet, one who studies the politics of internet expansion, and one who works as a general manager for a broadband provider. My first guest today is Brandon Moore, and you may remember him from a couple of the episodes that I've done for this show. I invited him back today because Brandon currently, well, he doesn't have internet access. And for a lot of us, we didn't really spend a lot of time thinking about internet access until the pandemic, but Brandon, you've been thinking about it for a long time. Yeah, Heather, you're exactly right. I've, I've literally never had internet access other than dial-up back in the day with AOL. You're, you're right that nobody thinks about it. We live in a digital age now where everything is online. You go online to do a job application, to look for jobs, you're working from home, or you at least tried to. And then nowadays, because of remote learning, your kids aren't even getting school days anymore when it comes to snow. Okay, well, I live in Russell County, and there is still a substantial amount of the population that does not have access to reliable, affordable, high-speed internet. Yeah, and earlier this week on Monday, Russell County had a snow day, but they didn't really have a snow day. They had an online instructional learning day where students weren't required to come to school, but they were required to be online. And technically, according to the statistics I'm seeing, only about 75% of Russell County has any type of internet access at all. So that's one in four households that can't get online unless they drive somewhere. So how has this, I mean, in terms of employment, how does this affect people who do not have internet? Well, you know, like like the majority of people um, during the pandemic, the start of the pandemic, I got laid off. And, you know, there, there's two areas there that it hurts one you're not able to go on and do job applications except through your phone which if you live around here you also know that the service for phones is complete and total disaster but you know you say you want to go to indeed you're looking on a phone you're trying to apply through a phone if if you do get an interview you have to go to the place which during the pandemic was also hard because they wanted to do online interviews well obviously you can't do an online interview you can't go on zoom because you don't have internet and then uh to be honest with you, there was a few companies that actually laughed at me because I didn't have internet. They couldn't believe that. So you have that, and then you have just trying to apply. Try, try to go through an application process without internet. When it comes back with send a copy of this or send a copy of that, how are you going to do that? There was places I applied that never heard back from, um, and then there was the places that I did hear back from, wanting internet access. And then people said, well, work from home. Well, you can't work from home without internet. People were people were saying that people were too lazy to work during the pandemic. Well, if you lived in this county or this area, a lot of it wasn't laziness. It was no access to the work from home jobs that a lot of people were getting. Now, where were you going to get online? Well, there's two areas, and you spoke about the, the schools um, with the remote learning. When the schools started closing for the pandemic, Russell County did this thing where they put up um, Wi-Fi hotspots throughout certain areas of the county. Well, you have the Oak Grove Community Center which is right beside of the old Oak Grove Elementary School that I used to go to. It's been shut down for years, but they, they built a community center. So they have a, a Wi-Fi hotspot there. 
this Wi-Fi hotspot runs at dial-up speeds. So you are getting more irritated sitting in your vehicle trying to connect to the internet out here or download anything than, than it was worth. So I turn around, I go to the Russell County Public Library. Connection issues constantly. Also, dial-up speeds. We're talking about you were lucky to hit a one megabyte download. The government center. Now, this is the saddest part. The government center in Russell County, the middle of Russell County, will hardly ever connect to your to your Wi-Fi. It'll say, no internet. Connect at no internet. So these were the places that not only I was going to try to do anything that had to do with computers or applications. This is where the kids were going, too, that didn't have internet trying to connect. Can you imagine trying to do all of your courses in a day with internet at dial-up speeds or that keeps disconnecting from you? Yeah, and at WISE, we've been talking about what to do when, you know, there's a magic of a, school, a snow day. Mm-hmm. There is. The snow falls, kids want to go outside and play, and that's it's really nice, right, to have this day off. So it, in college, you have a snow day, typically, and WISE, it's one of the snowiest places in southwest Virginia. But is there a point at which now that we all are you know, we all have iPads and we're all doing all this stuff. If there's a lot of snow, can we call a snow day or can we actually go online? But even in WISE, we have so many students who lack internet access, it's not equitable. So I know that you've been paying attention to the news with all of the additional resources being sent to different companies about expanding internet access in our region. And it's great that we see, you know, so much money being given to expand this out. But what has been your experience with that? I mean, are you are you seeing that uh, is internet coming for you or or what 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 has been your experience with with all of that well clearly internet is coming for someone considering all you see around here is point broadband trucks but as for me um for two solid years okay if you know anything about point broadband uh originally bvu sold to sunset digital okay sunset digital their original thing was they were going to do internet for everybody around here you had to sign up for them and show interest I was one of the first to shine up and show interest. I was excited. Sunset Digital became Point Broadband. For two years, at least once a month, I've been contacting Point Broadband trying to get internet. Every time I'm told the same thing. Well, the nearest cluster is 2,500 feet from your home, so it's not available for you right now. We know that, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, and this is literally what was said to me by a representative, hundreds of millions of dollars was given to us for this. But we're having problems getting through people's property. Well, I live right next to Route 58. You're not going through people's property. And every time I would come back at something, they would say, well, just keep trying. Just keep trying. Now, never mind the fact that to even be able to apply for this, I had to go to one of these hotspots. You're, you're constantly being told on the news that all of your people in Russell County and in Southwest Virginia are going to have access to Internet. It's not what you're seeing. Then this happens. They start showing a map of where has been completed. Two miles from my house one way, about a mile and a half another way, less than a mile another way. These three areas have had completion of point broadband. But no matter how many times I try, I'm not able to get it. Now, I have one other question. They're all saying that they will have access to point broadband. But does that mean it's going to run by your house and you're going to be spending thousands of dollars to get that connection from this this line running by your house to your front door? Because I have other friends that have dealt with Point Broadband. And they were told, well, we, you'll pay by the foot to run to your house. And then it totaled up in the thousands of dollars. So they, they can't get it either. So when we talk about having access to reliable, affordable, high-speed internet, what are we getting at there? Oh, it's near your house, so you're served. 
but you need to pay thousands of dollars to connect, which nobody in here can afford. Well, very few in here can afford. My next guest on the program is Dr. Christopher Ali, who is an associate professor in the Department of Media Studies at the University of Virginia. Chris's current research focuses on broadband policy and deployment in the United States, specifically in rural areas. His recently released book, Farm Fresh Broadband, The Politics of Rural Connectivity, examines the complicated terrain of rural broadband policy in the U.S. Farm Fresh unpacks the politics of broadband policy, asking why millions of rural Americans lacked broadband access and why the federal government and large providers are not doing more to connect the unconnected. So Chris, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So as you know, and you've heard from my other guests, the digital divide between rural and urban America has been on full display during this pandemic. We have people without internet access who are having a more difficult time with everything, be that working from home, applying for jobs, dealing with online learning and so forth. So what can you tell us about what's being done on a national level or even a state level to help extend the internet for people? I mean, those are great questions to start with, um, Heather. Thank you. So at the, at the start at the federal level. So, you know, one of the, one of the um, outcomes, I guess you could say of the pandemic is exactly what you said. People started to realize that, that broadband is infrastructure. Broadband is a necessity, not a luxury. Broadband is a right. Um, we, you know, it was, it was demonstrated in, in a really interesting study that those with high-speed broadband at home were more likely to social distance than those without, right? So broadband actually became this matter of life and death. And then obviously what it meant is that we, we quickly learned how tens of millions of Americans lacked um, access to uh, affordable high-speed broadband. Um, the federal government has taken a couple of steps. Most recently, the Infrastructure Act, uh, or the Infrastructure Bill, rather, uh, promised $65 billion for broadband, $42.5 billion of which will go specifically to deployment. That means getting wires in the ground, towers in the air, wires in the air, um, and the mobilization spectrum. So we are going to see some movement. We also saw $10 billion from the American uh, Rescue Plan Act, ARPA, be allocated towards broadband as well. And that's being um, governed by uh, the Treasury Department. So there's going to be a lot of money coming down the pipes. For its part here in Virginia, uh, Governor Northam uh, announced in summer 2021 uh, that he was going to commit $700 million out of Virginia's um, COVID relief money specifically towards broadband. So we're going to hopefully be seeing massive amounts of connectivity um, in, in, in a number of un and underconnected areas in, in our Commonwealth, which is really important because I think a lot of times um, you know, folks in Nova, folks in the Hampton Roads area, folks in Charlottesville and Richmond, they're not aware of the fact that once you leave these bubbles of connectivity, broadband connectivity drops off precipitously. Um, and, and, and so the only way that we're going to correct this infrastructure divide is with public support, because quite frankly, the providers aren't there. If there was a market for it, they would have been there in the first place. And so we need these kind of incentives to make sure that everybody's connected. Now, your new book uh, that came out from MIT titled Farm Fresh Broadband, The Politics of Rural Connectivity, in it you argue that local broadband is actually better broadband. Can you tell us a little bit about why that is? 
Absolutely. Uh, so what I mean by that is that broadband provided by a local provider is better than broadband provided by a national provider, let's say Comcast or Verizon or AT&T. And what I mean by that is, is a couple of things. One, it's accountability, right? Local uh, providers are much more accountable to their communities than national providers. So let's think about things like outages, right? Um, it gets really hard to contact Comcast, let's say, when your internet is out. It's a lot easier when you have the phone number of somebody who is actually your provider. I think the other thing is, and this is particularly important for rural communities, is that um, local providers, particularly electric and telephone cooperatives, see investment in broadband as an investment in the community. And, and why that is so important is that deploying broadband is, is ter terrifically expensive. Um, and, and one of the big reasons why big companies aren't connecting rural areas is because they don't see the return on investment. They want that quarterly return on investment. Local providers, cooperative providers are much more willing to take that long-term investment, that 10-year, 20-year um, return on investment, because they see it as a, as a commitment to the community. And that community commitment is what's going to be so very essential, particularly in the remote and rural areas of Virginia and the United States. And that's, so that's one of the, uh, some of the main reasons why I argue that, that local broadband is the best broadband. Now, in Virginia, are we one of the states that inhibits local can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So, so there are 18 states in the country that either prohibit or inhibit municipalities from funding, owning, and or operating their own broadband networks. Virginia is one of those states that makes it difficult, but not impossible. And here are some, some ways in which Virginia makes it difficult. And, and it makes it difficult not to do a public-private partnership. Municipalities are always allowed, and counties are always allowed to partner with a private provider, so long as the private provider owns and operates the network but municipalities can fund the network. So that's a little, you know, um, uh, a little loophole there. For a municipality to go on it on its own, let's say, or a county or a couple of counties to go on on their own, they have to do a couple of things. One, they have to conduct a very expensive feasibility study. The other is that if there is an incumbent provider already there, the prices set by the municipal provider cannot be lower than the incumbent provider. Now, this is a ridiculous provision because what it means is um, we know, we know, we know, we know from, from great research that municipalities will offer broadband at faster speeds and cheaper prices if competition is allowed. So this really takes the, the legs out of municipalities who want to uh, start offering broadband. One of the reasons Virginia has done this is because they're, they're quite bullish on um, public-private partnerships. And so, for instance, if you want to tap into any of that $700 million, you need to have a public-private partnership. And so Virginia is actively dissuading municipalities from going about it on their own and instead trying to find a private partner or, or a dance partner, as I read about in my book. One of the big problems in Virginia, though, is what happens if you can't find a provider, right? Then you're stuck. And, and there's a lot of counties who... They might have money available, but they still are struggling to find that, that crucial dance partner as necessary by Virginia law. And I was reading a piece of your research that pointed out that the price that people pay in rural areas for connectivity is significantly higher than the price that people pay in urban areas. And I was surprised at just the difference between rural versus urban. So is this a part of that? Absolutely. So rural, rural Americans pay upwards or can pay upwards of over 30% more for broadband. And their broadband is typically worse. I'm sure a lot of your listeners know this, right? I mean, not all broadband is created equal. So they're paying an arm and a leg for, you know, 
terrible connectivity uh, when the connectivity is available at all. Um, and, and, and that is ridiculous. Um, uh, but nevertheless, that's because we have, you know, there's, there's really light oversight over rates uh, when it comes to broadband. Um, and, and, and so providers are allowed to basically charge whatever they want. Um, I know here in Charlottesville, for instance, um, my, my husband and I have been deemed super users and our bill is going to go up dramatically, but that's just because we both work at home and are, have been Zooming at home for the last 18 months or 24 months. Um, so there really is not a lot of oversight of this industry, which means that particularly rural Americans can sometimes spend upwards of five or $600 a month on connectivity. That's ridiculous and that needs to stop. Yeah. And furthermore, you mentioned the oversight in the past, there have been pushes for there to be additional, like additional wiring going into these communities, but it just hasn't happened. Right. Right. And, and part of the problem, this goes back, uh, the, the problem of connecting rural America with, you know, to the internet with broadband has been a problem that we've been grappling with for over 20 years now. Um, Part of the problem is that in, in the mid uh, uh, 2010s, in about 2014, the Federal Communications Commission, um, you know, had this windfall of money and they basically just gave it to the 10 largest telecommunications companies and said, we trust you to connect the country. Here are all the areas where there are internet deserts, broadband deserts, go ahead and connect them. Well, they did and they didn't. They, they did to the, uh, you know, to the ceiling of, of where they met their legal requirements for connectivity. And that meant, you know, deploying more telephone wires rather than deploying fiber, right? So, and that's where so many Americans have now discovered that, hey, we're paying for internet, but why can't I Zoom? Well, you can't Zoom because you're still using a telephone connection. Um, and, but because of the way the law is written, you're considered to have broadband, which means your viewers can't see that, but I'm putting broadband in air quotes right now. Um, and so that you're considered served with broadband, which means that your community will no longer be eligible for federal assistance to upgrade your network. So not only do we have a problem with the unconnected in rural America, we have a severe problem of under connectivity. And I think the pandemic made that absolutely clear when folks couldn't log on, they knew they could check their email, but somehow they weren't able to stream because they didn't have the type of connectivity necessary. Yeah. And even so, you know how Facebook will give you those flashbacks and it's like a year before, two years before you can see those pictures. Well, this morning, the picture that popped up was one from last year where the quote unquote internet, right? The internet went down in our home yeah, and it meant that we couldn't use Zoom and it was my daughter's first day back at school. So here we are rushing around town to go to McDonald's, to go to the library, to go wherever, to get online. But the, the fact of the matter is that this is happening for lots of families and those of us with internet access are not thinking about that all the time, but those without the internet access are thinking about it all of the time. Absolutely. And, and so you point to both a level of sophistication that we don't realize happens when consumers are unconnected. They know, and they know the workarounds. They know to drive to the, the McDonald's or the library to, to do that. It also suggests what I've called in some writing, the presumption of the connected. And I see this a lot, Heather, in our business at post-secondary institutions where, you know, a lot of a lot of universities and unfortunately the University of Virginia included are not taking the digital divide seriously. And so one of the things I've been researching recently is what are the roles and responsibilities of education institutions to un and underconnected faculty, staff and students? And that's something um, that I'm hoping to bring to the attention more of um, to to our bosses um, in the months ahead. 
Well, you'll be pleased to know that at my college, the question was posed to faculty recently. What do we do if we have snow day after snow day after snow day? Should we just transition online for those additional days? And faculty were yelling, there are students who don't have internet access. Oh, and it that is, is so good to hear. Right? And it is an equity issue. We need to think about those things. Absolutely. It is, it is about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Who is most likely not to have an internet connection? It's a student from a rural area. It's a student from a low-income household. It's a, it's a Black student. It's a Latinx student. It's an LGBTQ student. So the digital divide tracks precisely onto all of these other inequalities that exist and that we're trying to confront. We need to elevate the, the, the conversation about digital divide to make sure that it's part of that equity uh, discussion, exactly like you said, Heather. Yeah, you, you can't expect people to get jobs if they can't even get online to apply for those jobs. Absolutely not. Jobs, booking a vaccine appointment, um, telehealth, education, public safety, economic development, housing values, all of these factor into whether or not you have a high-speed and affordable broadband option. My third and final guest on the show today is Joseph Puckett, who is a regional general manager for Point Broadband and has responsibility over the Virginia, Tennessee, Maryland markets. He began his career in broadband with Sunset Digital Communications in 2017. He became a member of the Point Broadband team in 2018 when Point acquired Sunset, along with Optinet Division of Bristol, Virginia Utilities. Joseph was born and raised in Russell County and is a 1999 graduate of Emory and Henry College, where he received his BS in business administration with a concentration in accounting. So Joseph, thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, thank you for having me. I look forward to talking about uh, broadband expansion. It's such an exciting topic for our region. So over the last year or so, citizens here in Southwest Virginia have heard that there's money available to expand the internet into our area, and your company is one of those who has received funding to expand the internet service here. What can you tell me about it? So I'm going to take, go, take, take us back to pre-COVID in, in 2018, in late 2018, early 2019. Virginia uh, was one of the first uh, states in, in, in our region to to look forward and say, we need to put money into our broadband grant program. There's too many rural Virginians who don't have access to high-speed internet. Uh, that began with uh, Governor Northam had the first time we participated in, in their state grant program, which is called Body Virginia Telecommunication Initiative. There was $4 million in the pot. We received one small grant in the Davenport area of Buchanan County, uh, served about 489 homes. Immediately thereafter, the governor made a commitment and up that to $19 million. In, in the second round, then co- during that time, uh, you know, COVID became a reality for for the country, and uh, the governor, along with support bipartisan support in the General Assembly, that pot became fifty million dollars. We took an aggressive approach to uh, our the two main areas we serve: the Cumberland Plateau uh, Planning District, which is Russell, Tazewell, Dickinson, Buchanan. Uh, counties and the Mount, and a portion of the Mount Rogers uh, planning district, which is uh, for us, Washington, Smith, and Wythe counties. And we put in two uh, large aggressive applications, uh, one serving uh, about 8,000 passings in the Cumberland Plateau uh, network and, or excuse me, footprint, and one serving about 4,500 passings uh, in the Mount Rogers footprint. We received those awards in, in the fall, in, well, in January of 2021. Uh, signed, got the contracts worked out and everything uh, inked and, and signed in September uh, of 2021. And we've been we've been constructing on those. We have active passings. We have active customers in both of those networks. 
during the 2021-2022 grant window, um, you know, the federal government, along with the state governments, appropriated an aggregate amount of over $750 million into the body program. And so we, we, we took that opportunity to take the rest of the unserved passings uh, off the table in, in those seven counties in two uh, applications. And we're fortunate enough to get an award uh, for both. And so we're and we meet to uh, sort those contracts out next week with the goal to have that worked out by the end of the first quarter. And we'll begin construction on what in total will be about 45,000 passings in those seven counties, serving uh, some of the areas, most of the areas that uh, currently don't have access to to the standard is 25 megabits down by three up. Um, we're going to blow past that standard. That's an old FCC standard. We're everybody that we serve is going to have access to uh, gig symmetrical speed if they want it at their home, um, and with a minimum package of 50 um, megabit per second symmetrical up and down. Uh, the upload speed because of the cause of COVID, we're on a Zoom session right now. Need upload to, for telehealth, teleeducation, those things. You didn't really have that need pre-COVID, so it's really driven a broadband or a fiber-based solution is what we have. Now, when you mention these passings and these communities in which you are working, some of them have lower levels of internet access than others. Is there a formula that you use to determine kind of who's going to get attention first? Our construction folks take that, the information, the awarded passing information, and they begin a, for us, it, 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 we have some uh, synergies from the acquisition of the Bristol Virginia Utilities Network. They had constructed a significant amount of what, we, what you'll hear called backbone or middle mile fiber, which is you know, transports the, you know, the data service to and from uh, localities in between areas that where folks live. So our construction plan is often driven by those synergies and we build out from those, uh, what we call, you hear, called, you hear the term POP site, point of presence is what POP, the acronym POP represents. From that point of presence, uh, we'll build out. So some of that is how we determine our goal in, in both applications. We've made this commitment to our co-applicants in, in the planning district is that we want to work simultaneously in all four counties. So it's not a, we're going to start Russell and then go to Dickinson. We're going to, and we've been able to maintain that through uh, 2021 and uh, plan, have plans that, you know, significant numbers of crews to be able to accelerate our build. There's a 24 month requirement in the body awards. Our goal is to build it in 18 and uh, accelerate that as much as possible. It's just a function of, of, of time and resources. That's one of the challenges with so much money across the, the country being put into broadband is at some point there'll be a there's a finite number of resources uh, from a expertise standpoint that can construct this type of thing. We're fortunate to have some really good relationships with nationwide contractors and we feel very comfortable that we'll be able to to, to exceed the 24-month commitment timeframe to, to build all this. At the end of all of this, what percentage of these counties do you expect to have internet access? Well, by design, um, using again using E911 addresses. So the governor's all the governor North is, is used 90% as universal coverage, understanding that um, you know there's always going to be a, a uninhabited homes, cabins, things like that 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 will require special circumstances. What we found in the design process and what we did within the, this most recent application is it's almost, it's easier to design to 100% than to try and figure out who that 10% that's, that is too tough to serve. So we went, that's the route we went. Um, the, the, the 
grant process in Virginia has a challenge period. So we we chose to be aggressive in order to make sure we met the universal coverage standard and allow the challenge process to work. It did. And we had challenges from uh, four different providers across the seven counties. Some were small, just a few hundred, uh, and some were, were larger. And, um, you know, our sort of response to the grantor was, you know, we're fine. We, we trust that you're going to vet those. And if you tell us they're served based on the information submitted by the corresponding uh, ISP, we'll respect that. We'll remove it and make sure economics still work and, and, and move forward with that. The grant guidelines allow for a 10% overlap. So there, there is overlap within all applications. And it's, you know, we're protective of, of our map where we are uh, for competitive reasons, as are all ISPs. So it's, it's a little difficult to always tell where the start and stop is. But we feel like competition is good. And if rural folks are going to end up with two options for fiber providers because of uh, the work that's done and the funds that are committed, we think that's just uh, even more advantage for our area. So my final question is for those listeners who perhaps do not have access to internet right now, how do they get put on your list? If you live in one of those seven counties we talked about, Russell, Dickinson, Tazel, Buchanan, uh, Smith, Wythe, and Washington, you can call uh, Point Broadband, uh, 844-40-POINT, or you can go to our website, point-broadband.com, and you can sign up as a prospect. When we build a certain area and, and activate it, and we run that prospect list. Now, we do all kinds of marketing. We do uh, digital literacy campaigns. We partner with the localities to, you know, put a, we'll put a uh, advertisement in your water bill. Say, hey, you now have access to broadband, call this number. We do community events. There's all kinds of ways that we're going to let you know we're there when we get there. Uh, I tell folks all the time, I, you know, I'm, I'm measured on a daily basis on how many people we connect. So it's our, you know, we, we don't want to not connect anybody. Might have to be a little patient sometimes, but, so contacting us, creating it, we'll check your availability, your, your serviceability. And if you're not serviced, we'll hopefully be able to get in. Probably by the end of the first quarter, we'll, we'll have our construction plan laid out for all the grant work. Um, once we get the contract done, uh, that, that'll be real easy to do. And so you should be able to give a quarter and a year, you know, Q3 of 2022, Q2 of 2024, with the goal to have it all wrapped up by the end of 2024. Well, I'm betting that everyone who doesn't have internet access will be excited to find out when their addresses are serviceable. So thank you for being on the show, and thank you all for listening. If you missed any piece of this broadcast today, you can catch up again on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Red, White, and Confused. See you next time.